0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: From the STMM Digital Studio, right here on Balexi's Back Bay, I want to welcome you to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate the the men and women who are working so hard and have worked so hard over so many years to make Mississippi a great place to live, work, and play. And I want to welcome our listeners from Jackson and and Mississippi Delta and those who are watching the show at uh, Supertalk TV at C-SPIRE TV. Uh, This is Thursdays on my show, so we have an expansion. Audience on on this day, we have a very special show today, and we'll be getting to that in just a second. Hey, one of the things that I do every morning, I have a bunch of different newsletters that I get. A lot of aggregators where it takes me around the world and and I get to focus on the news of the day. But there's also a history book, and uh, I always use this history book as a way to 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 bring my focus on a leader that who has made a significant impact to humanity. And today, uh, one of the people who was who, there were several people actually, but one that was really focused on is Mother Teresa. Uh, Mother Teresa was born in uh, September. 1910. And uh, here's something she said along the way. She's probably one of the more quotable people when it comes to giving back to uh, our fellow man. But here's one of her many, many quotes that have been celebrated. Here's what she said. If you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. You know, one of the beauties of doing this show is we get an opportunity to celebrate people who are in the private sector and the public sector and the nonprofit community that are working really hard to kind of fill the gaps in communities. What I have said many times on this show is it takes it takes a big, big community to make to make uh, the, all the communities that make up Mississippi tick. Um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of nonprofits that are working, but there's always going to be gaps, and so I think when we bring to the table sort of a willingness to say, we're not going to worry about feeding 100 people if we can't feed 100 people, but if we can just feed one and play our role, we're going to help fill a gap, and we are lucky in this state that we have so many people that are willing to give more, that are willing to work so hard. That's one of the reasons why we're so resilient, and uh, I think Mother Teresa is right. Another one celebrated, who was born on this uh, in in September, uh, let's see, back in, uh, well, actually, she wasn't born, unfortunately. It was uh, the crash that took place in, in Paris where Princess Diana was killed back in 1997. And she said this, carry out a random act of kindness with no expectation of reward carry out a random act of kindness with no expectation of reward. You know, we we are so fortunate here on this show to celebrate so many people who could care less whether they get recognition or not. They're just trying to make their mark. They're trying to leave a legacy that will build a better Mississippi. And you know what? I can't think of a better guest to have on today's show. I think he's, he is someone we can celebrate as someone who never really worried about an expectation of reward. What he's always done throughout his life, and he's in his 80s today and still giving back, is uh, he wants to, to continue to contribute his kindness and his leadership and his commitment and passion to building a better Mississippi, and that's my friend George Logel. He's the former mayor of Gulfport, but he's also the former CEO of Hancock-Whitney, and where he served for like 60 years, and he's been a state leader, a local leader, and someone that I've admired and had the opportunity to work Work with in the community over a bunch of years, and uh, we're gonna we got a lot long list of things to talk about today. But before we go any further, let me welcome my friend George Sluga. How you doing, George?
2: Doing fine, Rick. Thanks. Glad to be on the show.
1: Well, you saw how I uh, started the show, but this this quote from Mother Teresa: "If you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one." We've had the beauty uh, in our community lives, and our and our in our work to give back to the community to meet a lot of people who had that frame of mind, and they're really making a difference in the community. That's one of the things that kind of kept us going, isn't it?
2: It sure is, and. Uh <clears throat> Particularly if we try to stay under the radar ourselves and take care of the people that we're trying to help, even if it is one at a time.
1: You know, one of the reasons I've enjoyed doing this show, uh, having retired back in in 2016, the one thing I missed. Uh, it was this this ability to connect, and as a publisher, you get a chance to connect with a bunch of different people. And I remember John Harrison saying to me when I retired, he said, "What are you going to do next?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to enjoy my grandkids and fish and spend some time up in the Mississippi Delta." And John just laughed out loud. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it." Well, he was right, and you you essentially said the same thing. I think I think once you connect, you can't unconnect anymore. Or can you
2: no and and i had the privilege of connecting very early in life because of the support that i had from hancock bank when we had an organization called the jc's it was a statewide organization we had chapters in 92 communities and i had a chance to visit every one of those communities and and be a part of a real statewide activity of course it was nationwide and and uh and worldwide too, but the emphasis in Mississippi was important because we got to meet people in every county, every community, and see what the needs were, and different needs in different parts of the state, but also different opportunities in different parts of the state. So that connectivity has paid off for my lifetime.
1: Well, what's been interesting about you, George, is that Whether it's, you know, you and I had the opportunity to work together on the Friends of the Gulf Islands National Seashore effort, rebuilding the Ship Island Lighthouse, whether it's something that's really ground level like that, or whether it's involved in education on the statewide basis, that everything that you've done... Whether it be working locally or regionally or through, or across the state, it's been a, it's been about gaining perspective and trying to figure out how can we build a stronger Mississippi. You know, it's, uh, you know that you talk about your time in the JCs, but having the opportunity to travel to these other communities and seeing how this state this very diverse state fits together is uh, is a key in your success, isn't it?
2: It certainly is. And then I had a follow up to that. In the banking industry, which was my home, when I had the opportunity to be president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. And during that year that I served, I visited every bank in Mississippi. Every bank in Mississippi, which uh, put me into those communities in such a way with the people that were leading in those communities and I learned an awful lot from that experience.
1: Yeah, I can't I can't agree more. I've had not had that opportunity that you're just describing where you could visit every bank and every community in the state or like with the JCs where you visited over ninety communities. But um, but every chance I get whether it's spending time in Jackson or my place up in the Mississippi Delta i i I try to soak it up, I try to understand what are the what are the situations that affect these communities and how does it, how does it all fit together because i believe i I believe deep in my heart and I came to understand this as a publisher that we're only going to be as strong as a state as our weakest community, and that's really important isn't it
2: that particularly is, and I think we have some good examples to use for that strength uh one of them is the The Northeast Mississippi area that has a very diverse number of communities that had been uh, uh, ravaged during the Civil War, came through reconstruction uh, and then used the Tupelo area as their anchor for those smaller communities through the leadership of a fellow named Harry Martin, who put together an economic zone for the needs of Northeast Mississippi. Uh, Because Northeast Mississippi, a little different than the coast, a little different than the Piney Woods, certainly different than the Delta. But by those people coming together and making that unit, they built some great things in Northeast Mississippi. Uh, Not to the detriment of the other parts of the state, but to their own benefit. And we're still benefiting by those today.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I had this terrific conversation last Thursday with Joe Max Higgins, who is a leader, lead CEO of the Golden Triangle effort. And what they've done in the in the Columbus, Starkville, West Point area is really important. He actually talked about the Tupelo area and the Northeast Mississippi area as being, you know, economic engines. He talked about the DeSoto area, certainly the Piney Woods around Hattiesburg, the area around Jackson, and of course, the coast. He didn't want to leave anybody else. Out. But there are certain areas of the state, certain regions of the state that are economic drivers for the rest of the state. And um, it takes all of us working together to 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 bring to bring this state forward. And uh, and it's a it's an excitingly diverse place when you start to really kind of break it all down, isn't it?
2: It certainly is. And and you you think in the short distance that we have between the coast and Memphis. Uh, and with Louisiana and Arkansas on one side, Alabama on the other, we're, we're really connected to, to the growth of the Gulf South, and we need to do our part to make sure Mississippi holds up its end of the bargain.
1: I, I, I can't agree with you more. The, I have, me having the opportunity to be publisher at the Times-Picayune uh, for a period of time and then also to spend time over in Alabama as publisher of Mobile and then having responsibilities for Birmingham and Huntsville, to see how Mississippi fits into that from an economic development point of view and, frankly, frankly from a quality of life point of view is very important, actually. Hey, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with uh, a stalwart leader for the state of Mississippi, George Logan and uh, we'll just continue the conversation. We'll see you after this break.
0: and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. And again, welcome to our listeners from Jackson and the Delta and um, Super Talk TV. We have what I, a man who I've often referred to as a stalwart leader. Uh, a man who has had tremendous impact in coastal Mississippi, but really tremendous impact across the state of Mississippi, not just in his role as a mayor of Gulfport, which he did later in his life as something, a way to give back, but as the uh, chairman of uh, and CEO of Hancock Whitney, what what a tremendous leader he's been. I had the opportunity in my early career to have wonderful mentors. Roland Weeks, the former publisher of the, of the Sun-Herald, and then I looked look across the community the people who I had the opportunity to learn from and work shoulder to shoulder with in the community people like George Slogan, for example what a what a terrific leader he has been hey george when we went to break we were just talking about sort of this mississippi perspective and i know this for a fact that you know you had if we were to list everything you've been involved with throughout your career, it'd take about five shows to, to talk about it all. But one one area that you and I connected on in past shows and just in general, just in our, our discussions about the community, was Governor William Wintour and the opportunity you had to work closely with him. Um, man, he was a phenomenal leader, but also someone that you learned a lot from, wasn't he?
2: I had the opportunity right after I got out of college <coughs> sitting in a desk in the bank for a man to walk up to my desk and introduce himself as William Winter. Uh, at the time, uh, he had been appointed because of some machinations of politics uh, back to the days of Walter Sellers and so forth. And he had been appointed to the uh, black market tax commissioner collecting taxes on the illegal whiskey, which is a big source of income for us in Mississippi. And his pledge when the governor uh, at that time uh, appointed him to this position, which was one of the highest paid positions of any political job in the country, he said on the first day, my job in this office is to abolish it and to create instead a position of state treasurer so that it could involve not only whiskey but all of the economy of Mississippi and then he went from there uh, to run for governor of Mississippi and I hitched on to that star because he said everything that we need to do to bring every one of the counties of Mississippi up to its best potential. And he had no illusions about his personal ambitions. He and his wife Elise, uh, Elise had been the daughter of a of a, a, a drugstore owner up in Northwest Mississippi, and and William had been born in Grenada and came through World War II, and so forth, and saw the the growth of our state. But here was a guy to hitch you hit yourself to to said this man's going to be one of the best leaders our states ever had. And he he accomplished so much. Uh, ran for governor a couple of times unsuccessfully because of politics, and that happens. But with every race, he learned something. And uh, it, was, it was very interesting because as good a politician as he was, he had a flaw. And his flaw was he would never ask you to vote for him. And... <laughs> And I became his campaign manager uh, for the south part of the state, and and we'd go in and do things, and he'd say how we do. I said you didn't do any good because you never did ask them to vote for you. And people like to put their hand in your hand and say thank you. Yes, I'll vote for you. So I said let's make a deal. He said what's that? I said you stay in the upper part of the state, and you give me a lease, your wife, because she can get in the elevator with ten people in three minutes and ask every one of them to vote for her husband. So uh, it was interesting to see how he and Elise formed a team along with their daughters who became, I think, the epitome of what politics ought to be worldwide. Uh, Again, he had no illusions about anything other than he loved his state Mm -hmm. and he wanted to do everything he could to build it up. And his anchor in all of that was what our needs are in Mississippi, have been our needs for a long time and will continue to be for a long time. And that was early childhood education. And William committed to doing everything he could to get the educational standards of our state up. And uh, I had the opportunity while he was governor, he took some of the guys that were in his office uh, and he called us the boys of summer. And he took two of us out of the banking industry to serve. And he said, we're going to get kindergarten put in the state of Mississippi. Now, that was pretty controversial because free kindergarten meant that we were going to embrace very strongly the young black students who did not have the opportunity to go to private kindergartens and to give them that early childhood education. And going through that effort and being successful in a special session under his leadership to get that enacted was one of the highlights of my life. And he took me aside and he said, you know, getting the kindergartens in is not enough. He said, we've got to go below that to really early childhood education and make sure we get that to be a part of the public domain, which we're still doing today. And uh, it's all because of his leadership of seeing if you want to bring your state up, it's like Mother Teresa said, one at a time, you have to bring those children up so that they can be the leaders of the future. And I think his legacy will live on for what he committed to in early childhood education.
1: Yeah, you know, it was um, as publisher, I had the opportunity to cross paths with Governor Winter many times. And there was there wasn't a time when we would pull off to the side and chat about whatever where he would not end the conversation with let me know how i can help you let me know let me, if there's ever anything I can do to help the coast or to help you, please let me know. And, you know, like you, George, you know, here you are in your 80s, still giving back to the community. You know, here's a guy who never stopped giving back to his last breath. I mean, he was always wanting to figure out what role he can play. I remember sitting on the executive committee for the Governor's Commission on on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Haley Barber believed strongly, as you well know that we needed to have a bipartisan effort at the recovery effort, and so William Winter coming into the conversation, uh, John Palmer coming into the conversation. Um, uh, let's see, Derek from NC N, 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 uh, NAACP coming into the conversation. Having that kind of an effort and watching this wise contribution that Governor Winter brought to the table, um, you know, I guess once you give want to give back, you never stop. One, you know, giving back. I mean, it's just going to be what you do, isn't it?
2: Well, and one of William Winter's real strength was he moved himself below the line and moved other people up above the line so that when he was gone, the leadership could continue. I look at Jim Barksdale, for instance, a product of coming out of the William Winter uh, domain when when Jim was in the private sector. And, And look what Jim did for us in the recovery effort after the storm. I'll tell you, that never will stop. Uh, we were in a session in the uh, in the in the Biloxi City Hall with Mayor Holloway at the time, and uh, I was Mayor of Gulfport, and uh, we we had we were having problems. Connie was Mayor of Ocean Springs, and we needed to get the Biloxi Bridge built back. Now this is actually right before I went into office, but uh, we had. We had some good people with the highway department that wanted to get that bridge built between Biloxi and Ocean Springs. Well, Connie wanted it one way. AJ wanted it another way. Uh, Butch Brown with the State Department of Transportation wanted it another way. And we got in a room at Biloxi with all the leaders of the Gulf Coast that were interested in our project. And for three hours, we argued back and forth, back and forth, and we're getting nowhere because of the polarization that Connie had and that AJ had. AJ wanted as wide a bridge as he could get. Connie wanted a narrow bridge because she didn't want that additional traffic coming into Ocean Springs. Well, we, it was frustrating. So about 11.30 I said, folks, let's adjourn this meeting for one hour y'all all all go get something to eat and you come back here in the meantime we ordered a bunch of po' boys for Jim Barksdale who was the head of the commission and for Connie and for Brown and for AJ and we got in a room and said we're getting nowhere we're getting nowhere We've got to build that bridge.
1: Hey, let's do this. Let's do this, because the punchline on this story, I was at the meeting, so I remember all of what you're talking about extraordinarily well. The punchline on this meeting in terms of Jim Barksdale's contribution to it is important. We'll cover that on the other side after this break, but we're having a conversation with George Slogel, and uh, we'll continue the conversation after this break.
0: love living in mississippi it's the ricky matthew show on super talk 103.1
1: welcome back to the Ricky Matthews show and again welcome our visitors or our listeners from Delta from the Delta and from uh, Jackson we're me- meeting today with George slogan consummate statewide community leader former mayor of Guphorn. he did that as a give back to the community let's be honest because he had been CEO of Hancock Whitney and had tremendous success in his life giving back to the community in so many different ways when we went to break though he was uh, we were making the point he was he was telling the story that involved Jim Barksdale's leadership. And one really important part of the recovery effort after Hurricane Katrina was that Haley Barber said he wants debate. He wants there to be mega uh, 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 conversation. He wants there to be a democratic effort that involves, he wants democracy to, to, to prevail because he believed that we would all build back a better community if people had a voice in that. And he didn't want to... He knew when to, he I wrote about this in the book he 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 knew when to apply the pressure but he knew when to let us have our debates, and one particular debate that Haley Barber wrote in great detail about in his book, America's Great Storm, was the discussions that were happening around the Biloxi Ocean Springs Bridge. And where, where we were when we went to break, as George was telling the story, I happened to happen to have been at that meeting, um, this <laughs> tremendous debate that was taking place between M. Dot and Butch Brown, um, A.J. Holloway, and Connie uh, Moran, who was the mayor of Ocean Springs at the time. And all of us, we we had different points of view about what this bridge needed to be. And that's where we were in the conversation. You can pick it up from there, George.
2: Okay. Well, we sat there for while we had a po' boy, while literally about 75 people had left the meeting to go get their lunch wherever they could. And we got in there and we had about a 20-minute discussion between those parties that you just mentioned. And I recall saying, we're not really getting anywhere. I said, Connie, what is it that you really, really want? And she said, well, I want a decorative bridge, and I would like for people to be able to walk back and forth between Biloxi and Ocean Springs, and I'm not so interested in the traffic count. I said, A.J., what is it you want? He said That's all fine, he said, but I want the traffic count because that's our doorway into Biloxi. And Butch is sitting there, Butch Brown sitting there frustrated. He said, fellas, I just want to build a bridge. And uh, I looked over at Barksdale and I said, what can we do? And Barksdale said, Butch, what will it cost us to put that walkway across there? And Butch gave him a number, which was a little over a million dollars. And Barksdale looked at at AJ and he said, AJ and Connie, I'll pay for that walkway. (laughs) And he took his personal money and gave it to Butch Brown. Connie got what she wanted with a decorative bridge, with a good walkway, which we're using every day today. Yeah. AJ got what he wanted in having more cars to be able to come back and forth across Highway 90. And the coast got a connectivity. It brought Jackson County and Harrison County connected to to uh, Hancock County in such a way that it bound the communities together. But look, Barksdale was a product again of William Winter of getting young people like Barksdale, who had become a multimillionaire, to come home and put his investments back in the house. And 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 I think that's the legacy that William Winter has left to the state. There are leaders all over the state who came up under his mentorship that wanted to give back, not for their personal benefit, but for the benefit of the state.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. He was just the best. He was the best. You know what, in the way that he was sort of a transformational leader, let's, let's think for a second about... Haley Barber, and how he was built for the moment of post Katrina, and uh, and incidentally, let me tell you a quick story. You're talking about asking for votes. Um, I'll never forget the the editorial board meeting we had with Haley the first time that he came when he was running for governor, and of course he would he would he would ultimately win. We had this great conversation that demonstrated his great mind and his ability to move around and compartmentalize all these numbers. And you, you, you know his mind well. I got to see it in action, well myself. But uh, so we get done with this meeting, and uh, we're about to stand up. This is, you know, the editorial board, nerd journalists in the room, and Haley and some of his staff. And he pauses the moment. okay, so we're some of us are half stu- stood up at this moment, and he pauses the moment, and this is what he says to us. He said, "I, I want to ask everyone in this room to vote for me." He said, "I would really appreciate your vote, but I covet." your endorsement. (laughs) No one had ever said that like that before. And I thought, wow, this guy means business. And uh, of course he goes on to win. And, and then we, we get the benefit of all of his connections and his bipartisan approach that he took after the storm and all of that after Katrina. But man, but was he built for that post Katrina world, George?
2: Well, he, he, he did a couple of things by asking you for his endorsement, for your endorsement, for his campaign. What he was saying, that the Sun-Herald speaks to the voice of Mississippi. And if I can get your endorsements, you will take me into the homes of of all of these communities and let me give my message. And if the people will listen to that message, perhaps I can get elected governor. And I want more than your vote. I want your influence. And you gave it to him. And what a tremendous difference that made. But Haley brought home... A Yazoo City boy that uh, didn't wear socks with his loafers, uh, who went to Washington and bound the people of Washington, bound them with connectivity for the Republican Party, that he then took back to the Mississippi as governor and got us a tremendous amount of money for rebuilding after that storm. He. He was prepared for that. And again, he came out of that era of young leaderships in Mississippi, not as a Republican for William Winter, because William Winter was a diehard Democrat. But William saw the connectivity with the Republican Party at the national level, which we needed. And Haley and, and Winter, in effect, joined hands in their philosophy and crossed the lines of Democrat and Republican to do what was good for our state. What a blessing those two men have been to our state.
1: Isn't that so true? Listen, I wrote in the forward to Haley's book on Katrina, I wrote this. His accent and folksy mannerisms comfort those who need need reassurance that he knows where he comes from. For those in the region, this provides an instant connection with those who must believe and trust him for those beyond the, the south haley's style is disarming perhaps even an invitation to underestimate him which serves him well in the complicated negotiations to advance mississippi's goals of uh, of communities in need but it is only a temporary advantage <laughs> i go on from there as people start to understand you know what this man was all about but but you know again we i often wonder actually if we could do that today if we could do you know, it wasn't until I read the manuscript to the book that I realized that while we were all on the ground developing this plan that he used to justify the ask that he, the billions of dollars of asset he was going to do in washington that he was spending so much time in washington bringing democrats and republicans together and it was really important actually because mary Landrieu you remember very shortly after katrina she went for the for the uh, state of louisiana and asked for 250 billion dollars without any justification behind it and that created a chilling effect in washington and haley had to sort of work through that chilling effect to break it all down and to some extent, what he did was position Mississippi with the plan that we were developing. What he did also is actually actually help Louisiana because it sort of recalibrated what the ask was going to be from Louisiana. But you know, it's, it, coming back to the, the, he was hammered for being a lobbyist prior to getting elected. But it was that lobbyist, you know. F- connection, that lobbyist competency that helped us immensely after after the storm. It's it's an amazing story.
2: It really is. And 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 Haley gave us the opportunity to use the influence of Fad Cochran and Trent Lott to get the funds we needed to get by crossing that Democrat Republican line. And, and I subscribe to the two-party system. I think it's wonderful that we have it. But there are times when the two parties need to come together, and Haley brought us together during that time. And uh, you're right. When, uh, when the governor of Louisiana asked for too much money, Haley went up there and put a lid on that pot and said, let's get realistic. And he got Louisiana what they needed, but he also got us what we needed because he was able to cross the party lines.
1: Hey, when we come back with George Slogel, um, we'll talk a little bit about the political condition in America today. And uh, how, you know, it, from my perspective, it's kind of sad that we're we're so polarized when most people are somewhere in the middle. We'll talk about that for a second. And then I actually want to talk a little bit about longevity. Here's George in his 80s. I want to know some of his personal ha- habits and what he does for mental well-being, what he does to stay engaged in the community, all things we can learn from him. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with George Logo.
0: To more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Mississippi.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend George Schloegel. I refer to him as a stalwart leader in Mississippi. We could spend another several shows just talking about the ascension of Hancock Bank and what he learned from people like Leo Seal. And um, man, there's a there's a lot there. In fact, we might come back and and deeply discuss some of that because there's a lot to learn from those lessons. George, when you think about the the situation in America today with social media driving wedges between people, when most people, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, most people are somewhere in the middle. It's hard to watch, isn't it? It's
2: it's very difficult. It's painful to me because. What I see is a lost opportunity. With the good communication that we have today, and we have state-of-the-art communication, instead of putting our people together by commonality, we tend to be separating ourselves and polarizing. That's not gonna get us where we need to be. Uh, I respect the Democrat Party. I respect the Republican Party. I respect the independents. But all of those have to come together to join hands because we're neighbors and we believe in the same thing, which is our democratic republic. But this polarization has got to come to an end somehow. And uh, that happens like the conversation we said when we are eating hoboys and we say, okay, what do you want in Ocean Springs? What do you want in Biloxi? Let's join hands regardless of what party you were in. Well, we need to do that today because our nation is split and it's not a healthy situation. Now, we have seen for years and years that people get to be governors or president of the United States on a very close vote, many times something like 51 to 49 percent, just a few thousand votes keeping us apart. But the The split after that is keeping us apart from joining hands to be a part of a much better world. And I think that's the commission of America where the shot was fired. Mm -hmm. that was heard around the world to make sure we do things as a country so that we can help avoid what's happening today in Ukraine and, and the split that we have in Russia so that we can avoid what happened in World War II with Germany trying to expand and getting a Hitler out there. or uh, Of what we're divided on right now between us and the Communist Party of China, not the people of China, the people of China, 5,000 years with a great history, are good people, but they're being divided by that party. And that's taken effect, of course, in North Korea, took effect in South Korea. Uh, we've got to get past all of that and take our leadership role in, in, in this country, Democrat or Republican, but Democrat and Republican and independents, and say we're going to go forward for the good of mankind. And uh, I, I hope our young people who are coming up in this day of, of, of massive media and connectivity by just pressing their thumb on a telephone can realize that we're bigger than individuals. We're part of the world, and America has been commissioned by God with us becoming the Democrat Republic that we have. And we went through a lot of hills to get there. We didn't do everything right. Look what we did to the Indians. Look to what we have done with the black and the brown population. But we came together. We need to take this next step and join our hands together and say, Let's build the world. Let's not lose it.
1: Well, George, those are wise words, and I can't agree with you more. And we need more leaders who think that way. And um, hopefully as we go forward, we can, you know, I still have confidence in democracy and that leaders will emerge that can bring us together. I'm confident that that will happen uh, because the pendulum swings so much people get tired of that. Hey, George, in the final couple of minutes that we have left, What's your secret to longevity?
2: Well, I married a good woman, and I had great parents uh, who made, my parents, it made sure we realized that we were bigger than ourselves. We had to, to branch out. Had five older sisters and an older brother and learned what it was like to live in a community where you give and take uh, in that house on Woodward Avenue. But And that expanded into into the rest of my life. Then I had the opportunity to marry Peggy, uh, and she was a partner that has been like no other in the world. And the same month that Peggy and I had our first date in 1956, the Hancock Bank hired me to roll coin and put out the mail. What an opportunity for a local boy. You know, and a local boy that I've talked about before, before I went to the bank, I sold vegetables and eggs to your mother Uh, and I watched what your daddy and your mother did and they were an inspiration to me and I watched how you came along and your sister came along and I said that's what the world ought to be And, and by doing that you forget yourself and you remember other people just like Mother Teresa said when you enter this show make sure you do something good with at least one and uh and i have to say the bank was good to me the community's been good to me and life's been good and god has given me good health i'm going snow skiing again in january and i'm (laughs) planning on living for a lot longer and i want to enjoy life
1: Well, George Logo, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. It really has. Have a great day.
2: Well, thank you for binding all parts of our state together with this program so that we can be what we need to be to help build America.
1: Thank you very much, my friend. Have a great day.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi media production.